listening to Law and Gospel on this Bible study Wednesday, June the 5th, in the year of our Lord, 2019. And the passage we're going to be taking a look at is 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Why are we looking at that? Well, it just so happens this coming Sunday is the celebration of Pentecost, and there is a lot of confusion in the church about what is meant by speaking in tongues. We hear about this, of course, in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost arrives, and guess what? The disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, that word tongues is glossolalia, and it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. You see, there's a number of interpretations about tongues. The charismatic view didn't begin until Pentecostalism. It's Roots occurred there in 1901. Although prior to that time, there were others like the Shakers and the Invinigidites in 1831, they believe that the Holy Spirit causes people to speak either in known languages or angelic languages in order to provide us with prophecy from God. Now, that alone should give us wonder, because the Bible is very clear in Revelation that anybody who adds to or subtracts from the Word of God is not to be listened to. We do not believe that the Holy Spirit continues to give biblical information that we need to follow. I was in a charismatic church uh, those were the days where I used to go around to all kinds of congregations and preach individually at each one. And this particular one had an early service prior to the place I was to preach at. So I, I attended. And they had a woman there that they were really trying to get her to speak in a tongue. It didn't matter what she said. It was just babbling. Because they believed that unless you spoke in tongues then you can never be sure that you were saved. That's the charismatic view. So we need to take a look, because the Apostle Paul has a whole chapter on tongues, chapter 14. But it occurs after 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He's talking about the various gifts that God continues to give. But he says... Chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Now, what chapter 13 does is shows that love is the greatest. Verse 13 ends, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now, it doesn't seem to me that churches that are telling you 
even though you say you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but they're telling you, oh, no, 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 you're not saved unless you're able to speak in a tongue, guess what? There's no love there. So don't listen to them. But how do we understand Paul's chapter 14, where he talks about tongues? I did a paper on this when I was at the seminary in a graduate course. And the point I was making is that if every time you take a look at the word tongue and say that that is referring to a known human foreign language, the chapter makes sense. Now, where do I get this from? Well, if you take a look back at Acts 2, when they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, it's very clear, according to verse 6, that each person who was at Pentecost was hearing the disciples speak in his own language. In other words, the tongues they were speaking were known foreign languages. In fact, listen to this verse 8, back chapter 2 of Acts. And now, how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. Well, we know that Arab is a different language. Now, when the Bible speaks of the language of angels, the early Jews, and even at the time of Jesus, believed that that meant they were speaking Hebrew. And so that was the language used in the temple. Uh, We made a point about this on Monday, that when farmers would bring their first fruits, they had to repeat from Deuteronomy a section of that in Hebrew before they gave their gift to the priests. And because so many people didn't know Hebrew, they spoke Aramaic or maybe Latin or Greek, the priests would speak the Hebrew, and they would follow after him. So without further ado, let's begin with chapter 14, 1 Corinthians, verse 1. Paul, first of all, picks up what he had said in 13 about love being the greatest gift. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, Those spiritual gifts, for example, I had in my congregation women who were able to teach little kids in Sunday school. That was not my particular gift. And they were prophesying. The word prophesy doesn't mean talking about the future. It means speaking the word of God. Then he says, for one who speaks in a tongue, remember, let's think of this as a foreign language, speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him. 
but he utters mysteries in the spirit. I actually did that. Yeah, I was given the privilege of going to Novosibirsk uh, some years ago. That's in Siberia. And I was to teach seminarians who did not know English about law and gospel. And so every time I was speaking English, guess what? They were not understanding me. Now, there were a couple who did know the English, but most of them did not. But I was still uttering mysteries in the spirit. Now, what they did, of course, I would say a sentence, and then I had a Russian translator. And she would go ahead and then translate into Russia what I was saying. Because if I just spent the whole time speaking English, hardly anybody would understand me. Verse 3. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So there's just no doubt about it that I was there to prophesy, that is to teach the word of God, and it was for the upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation of these seminary students. And that's why when I spoke in a tongue, from their point of view, it had to be translated so they could understand it. Now, when I was alone in my dorm room, did I pray in Russian? No, I don't know Russian that well. That's verse 4. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. And so when I was alone in the dorm room, I would have prayers, and I would be doing that in English. And how is it building up myself? Because in the prayers would often be included words from the Psalms or other books of the Bible. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. So if people had heard me saying a prayer in English, they would not have understood what I'm saying. I was strengthening myself through the prayer. But when they heard the translation, then I was building up the church. Verse 5. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. Do you know... Uh, right now in United States, uh, every time a credit card, you phone them up to pay it, uh, they'll say, uh, you phone Master Charge. Uh, if you want to hear this in Spanish, press 2. See, they even know, <laughs> MasterCard and many others, that Spanish is one of the most popular languages, and many people who speak Spanish may not understand English. So it's very important that the church knows how to speak different languages. When I was at the seminary, for example, in preparation for a doctorate, I had to take tests in a number of languages. Uh, I knew English, so that wasn't hard. But then Hebrew and Greek and German and Latin. And then I had a choice between French and Spanish. I wanted, I had already known French because I had had that at school, but I didn't know Spanish. And unfortunately, the person who was teaching me Spanish got a call to be a professor at one of our Concordia colleges, so I never did get that done. But that's why Paul wants us to speak in different languages in order to be able to prophesy to people. 
I, I remember when the Lutherans first came to the United States and they were ministering to Indians, they attempted to teach the Indians German, and then they would speak to them in German about God. Now, when we send missionaries out, we have them learn the language of the land to which they are going so that they can speak fluently to the natives there and prophesy definitely in their tongue. That goes on with verse 5. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. See, that's exactly what happened to me in Novosibirsk. And then I was also able to go to a city called Tomsk, T-O-M-S-K. I was the first Lutheran there in hundreds of years, and it had tens of thousands of people. I was at the University of Tomsk, and I did a lecture on law and gospel, and that also had to be translated into Russian for the folks who were in the audience. Verse 6. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? See, that's really important to understand. Paul probably spoke a number of languages. He probably knew Latin, Aramaic, definitely knew Greek. He knew Hebrew. And so he wanted to bring them some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. And then he compares it to an instrument. If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? I don't know if you've ever been to a symphony, but prior to their playing together, they're kind of tuning up their instruments, and you can't tell that they're playing any piece at all. Because in the tuning up of instruments, there's just a lot of noise. And, and yet these are lifeless instruments that will bring forth life when they start playing, say, something by Beethoven or Bach, etc. Number eight, if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? You see, in those days, that's how various commands were given. Somebody would blow a bugle or a trumpet. If they blew it once, it means to attack. If it blew it twice, and, and all the soldiers would know how many times it was blown, what it meant. Sometimes it meant that just one of the companies would go forward to fight or there would be retreat or, or whatever. So even if lifeless instruments give an indistinct sound, which speaking in tongues does... When you're talking to people who don't understand your language. So, verse 9. You yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, and that's any foreign language that you're talking in the midst of people who don't know it, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. Now, just to show you that tongues is not some gibberish of angelic speech. Verse 10, there are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. 
But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. Now, every now and then, I just like relaxing, and I enjoy watching a, a good movie, and I, I like uh, police movies, things like that. Well, I had one on yesterday, and it took me a little while to realize, but they were all speaking French. Now, fortunately, at the bottom of the screen, they would put the English translation. And I could understand some of it with my French background, but not all of it. Far from it. But then I couldn't do anything else. Uh, normally, I could be doing something like reading the paper or I was reading the Lutheran Witness or something like that. But as soon as you took your eyes away from the screen, you missed the translation that was at the bottom of the screen. And so to a degree, the movie became foreign to me. Verse 12, 1 Corinthians 14. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit... Try, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. Now, that happened to me in Novosibirsk, except I wasn't the one doing the interpreting. It was another person. Now, now sometimes I wondered how close the interpretation was. I, I may say six or seven words in English, and then the interpreter seemed to say about 30 words. <laughs> I was wondering, is that an accurate thing of what I am saying? Now, I, I talked to some who knew the English, and they said, no, uh, she's doing pretty good. Uh, she's giving what you're trying to say. Uh, we, we did a, a funny thing. We would often go to Concordia Theological Seminary. They had seminars every January, and I would take a bunch of our field workers, seminarians assigned to St. James. And I remember, I, I think it was with Mark Smith and Dave Pelsu, we walked into a, a hamburger place. And Dave uh, was pretending he was speaking a different language. And so the waitress came, and we had set this up ahead of time. The waitress came up to him and said, what would you like? And David said, uh, and I looked at her and said, he wants a hamburger. Oh, do you want anything on it? Then he would say another 20 words, and I said, he only wants ketchup and mustard. <laughs> it was really great. Now, he wasn't making any sense at all. <laughs> I was just saying that's what he was saying. But um, you can understand that when you speak in a tongue, the waitress needed somebody to interpret. Verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful in the sense that I'm not really helping out the church. I'm not bringing to them the fruit of the gospel. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. In other words, I'm going to continue to speak the languages that they know. I may have to interpret. We have some hymns in the hymnal, 
And the first part is in English, and the second part of the hymn is in Spanish. And, of course, there are some hymns that have Latin in them, because that's the liturgical language a lot of times. But you've got the translation right there, so you know what you're singing, even when you sing these other languages. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, that means speaking a tongue they don't understand, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say, Amen, which means what you're saying is true, to your thanksgiving, now listen to this, when he does not know what you are saying. Verse 17, and this is speaking a foreign language, for you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. Now see, I'm giving some thought to begin my Pentecost sermon this Sunday in simply reading the Greek from the Bible. I'm not sure anybody in the congregation knows Greek, and so I'd be speaking in a tongue. But then I'm going to interpret it by having them read the text. So I'm not just using my spirit, I'm using my mind also. And they will say amen to that. Verse 17, For you may be giving thanks well enough, that is when you speak in a foreign language, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. And we already went through the various languages that Paul knows. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. This is why it's so important that our pastors our missionaries, learn the tongues of the people where they have been going. Now, we're on verse 19 from 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Guess what? There's 40 verses, so we're only halfway through. So I'm going to do something on this Bible study that I haven't done before. Next week, because our time is up here, we're going to continue with verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 14. And remember my goal. My goal is to help you to understand that when the Bible speaks about talking in tongues, it's talking about known foreign languages. And if I recall, I will actually tell you a story of a missionary. In fact, I think I got time I can tell you right now. He was in South America, and he'd been captured by natives, and they were going to put him to death. And he was praying to God, and all of a sudden he began to speak in words that he did not understand. And the natives stopped in their tracks. They let him go, and he found out that he had been speaking their language. That's uh, Bible translators. You can find that. A real occasion that that occurred. Later on, both he and his wife returned to that village, and many of them became Christian. Now, there's an example where God did allow us, a human being, to speak in a language with which he was not familiar. I'm quite confident that a number of the disciples did not know Arabic. 
and yet they were speaking that language. Whether they understood what they were saying, I'm assuming they did. But in this case, the missionary was saying a prayer, and all of a sudden it changed into a different language, which was the known language of the natives of that particular tribe and led to many of them coming to faith in Jesus Christ. So next week, we'll continue with verse 20 of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And I've got some other insights that I think you'll find very helpful. On the next Long Gospel, we're going to be with Wes Reimnitz. And we're talking about Pentecost. Now, when most Christians think of Pentecost, they think of the time of the Holy Spirit coming. But a lot of them are unaware of the Jewish festival of Pentecost. So we're going to talk about that tomorrow and how that ties in with the Christian understanding of Pentecost. I'm Tom Baker, tomorrow with Wes Reimnitz. God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.